Coming up on Stu Does America, Janice Dean of the Fox News Channel joins us to give her first-hand account of Andrew Cuomo's awful COVID response in New York. Because Andrew Cuomo is awful. And the coronavirus continues to impact the country. We take a look at one of the possible silver linings of the whole situation. Could we be seeing the death of the common flu? Check us out on YouTube. Just search my name, Stu, and I'll be the first one there. Be sure to subscribe to our channel and hit the little bell that gives you notifications when we post. You can also listen to the show on podcast. Just head to your favorite provider and pick it up for free. Just do us a favor. Give us a five-star review uh, and, you know, maybe write a little thing. I don't know. It's great. Whatever. Whatever you come up with. By the way, we're doing some special polling updates that are audio only. If you go to the podcast feed, just subscribe to the feed. You'll get some uh, polling updates as they break from now until Election Day. You want to check that out. And until Election Day as well, you can get 30 bucks off your subscription price to Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like the stupid show. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. All right, sure, the polls are showing Joe Biden a little bit ahead right now, just like they did for Hillary Clinton in 2016. But what if the polls aren't the only metric for measuring a candidate's chances? Let's do the enthusiasm gap. Stu does America. Eight days, eight days until the election and i am incredibly excited for it to be over and of course the best part is thanks to mail-in voting it might be 2022 before it finally freaking happens by then nancy pelosi will have been president for an entire year and will all be socialists largely because everyone who is not a socialist will have killed themselves already but as we look ahead hmm We all want to know what's going to happen on Election Day. The polls say one thing, and that's, you know, Joe Biden's ahead. The Real Clear Politics average says Joe Biden leads by 7.9 percent. 538 has Biden by 9.1 percent. The Economist has Biden by 8.6 percent. All of those are higher than the actual results from even the 2008 election, where Barack Obama defeated John McCain by 7.2 percent. So is it really that big of a blowout? I mean... Sure doesn't feel like it. In 2008, it seemed completely hopeless for John McCain. It doesn't feel that way for Trump at all. Why? A big part of it is voter enthusiasm. Back in 2008, there was a godlike worship directed at Barack Obama from the left. And basically, no passion for John McCain from the right. And the polls were heavily in Obama's favor. In other words, in 2008, the polls and voter enthusiasm agreed. They both said Obama was going to win easily. The data aligned with our real world observations, so it was easy to figure out. This time, the exact opposite is true. There are people with the last name Biden who are not passionate about voting for Joe Biden. If you're against Trump, Biden is much like his beloved Amtrak. Yes, it'll get you from point A to point B, but literally no one is excited to get on board. On the other hand, everyone aboard the Trump train seems to be really thrilled about it. Uh, I mean, go around a swing state. You can't drive around for two minutes without seeing a car or a truck with a giant Trump flag flapping in the wind. MAGA mania seems to be everywhere. And this perception lines up with the data. In April, an ABC Washington Post poll showed just 24 percent of voters said they were very enthusiastic to support him. That was the lowest in 20 years for Democrats. And since then, as you see here, 
I mean, the election is, has, 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 as it's gotten closer, I mean, partisanship has taken hold and Biden's numbers have gone up. But overall enthusiasm for Biden remains far behind Trump. Biden still trails by 17 points in enthusiasm. And that's only because most Democrats are lying. I mean, to be fair, that last part is just based on my own personal knowledge of what is absolutely happening. So what explains the divergence between the enthusiasm gap and the election results themselves? Well, the problem is that we're measuring the wrong thing. We shouldn't be comparing the enthusiasm for Trump and the enthusiasm for Biden. What we should be doing is comparing the enthusiasm for Trump with the enthusiasm against Trump. The passion is there for Democrats, just not for Joe Biden. It's only there against Trump. We know this to be true. I mean, passion against Trump has people literally setting their cities on fire. There's plenty of enthusiasm on the left. It just usually results in a felony or two or 12. And the reverse is also true, I think. There's a lot of passion for Donald Trump among Republicans. But in comparison, there's not a lot of passion against Joe Biden. Yeah, there's passion against AOC and Ilan Omar and Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders. But Biden is seen kind of as like a helpless, bumbling idiot by most voters. For most people, Joe Biden is a guy not really worth having an opinion on. In 2016, the enthusiasm was against Hillary Clinton and against Donald Trump. This time, we have one candidate. It's like a one-candidate election. It is for Trump or against Trump. It's all about Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is all that matters. This is the ultimate referendum election for the president of the United States. Do people want four more years of Trump or not? That's it. No one is making their decision based on Joe Biden. He's a replacement level candidate, and that's why they're keeping him in the basement. They want it to stay that way. The left realizes the more people that see Joe Biden, the more people will consider him actually being president. They're terrified of that. So how can we tell if the enthusiasm for Trump is winning out? Let me give you one more thing I've been monitoring. This is uh, from 538. Back in 2016, famously, no polling experts thought Trump would win. But that's sort of a simplistic way of remembering it. If you go back to this time in 2016, Trump went as low as about 12 percent, uh, his chances of winning. Only 12 percent. But over the next couple of weeks, the last couple of weeks of the campaign, his fortunes improved dramatically. Let's look at a chart. Conservanerds unite. It's chart time. Here you see the election chances of Trump by 538 in 2016 over the final three weeks of the election. Toward the beginning, he was stuck at around 12 or 13 percent chances to win. The same as today, today, 2020. But when you see uh, in the last couple of weeks, you see a dramatic increase over those final two weeks. His chances hit as high as about 36 percent before settling just around 30 on the final day. The point is, Trump had a lot of late momentum going his way the last couple of weeks that we seem to barely remember. This, of course, coincided with the letter from FBI Director James Comey announcing an investigation on Clinton. So if you're on the Trump you know, campaign, what you'd like to see is that same kind of increase as Election Day approaches. OK, let's look at 2020 on this same chart. Now, it's only been a few days uh, since the separation, but we haven't seen that kind of ramp up yet. Everything has stayed pretty much flat. It's around 13 percent chance today. The good news is we haven't seen much post debate polling since Thursday. 
So it's possible he helped himself. I thought it was a much better debate for Donald Trump than the first one. We'll continue to keep an eye on this for you this week. But until then, remember what a Trump gathering looks like and what a Biden gathering looks like. So sad. A Trump gathering? You remember what that looks like? Yeah, lots of people excited. Then there's a Biden gathering. Not so exciting. A Trump gathering and a Biden gathering. I mean, look at that. He's just sitting in the backyard with a like four people. Enthusiasm might just be the key to this whole election. And at the end of the day, Joe Biden may win this election. I know it's hard to think about, but it's possible. Joe Biden may win the election. But one thing's for sure, he will never look like a winner. One of the unknown side effects of the coronavirus era, if you didn't have coronavirus, was you got a lot fatter. I don't know how that works. I mean, especially if you weren't actually infected by it. I don't know why it would have a side effect. But the quarantine situation, not good for the waistline, I've noticed. Uh, Intermittent fasting is a way to get that kind of done fast. If you have ever thought about intermittent fasting, ever heard of it, uh, it's a little bit of a different way to go about losing weight, but you can see your metabolism speed up and you can see the pounds drop off fast. I know uh, when I'm doing Fast Blast, uh, which is the company I love working with on this stuff, uh, it, you see you know, different, a difference in the scale every single day. And that is one of the reasons I think a lot of people get frustrated with weight loss is because what everyone says to you is like, oh, well, if you just cut 100 calories a day for 10 years, you'll lose four pounds and just keep doing that for several decades and you'll be in great shape by the end of your life. That's not what people want to do. It's hard to be that consistent for that long. Sometimes I like to go out and, you know, we went to a World Series game the other night. I didn't even think about, uh, I mean, all I did was eat. It was basically Thanksgiving dinner. The point is, it's better to be able to have an opportunity to take this off fast because it's encouraging. It makes you want to keep doing it. Fast Blast has a great way of doing this. They have a new app. It's called Fasten, F-A-S-T-E-N. It's great because it helps you track and monitor your weight loss, your hydration, your mood, all this stuff, and it helps you keep on track. They have a great Facebook community as well. Uh, that helps you uh, kind of talk through these issues. If you're having a day that's rough, they can help you through it. It's a great way of helping each other uh, on social media. Now, we always tell you to do your own homework, so make sure that intermittent fasting is right for you. Go to the free Fasten app, uh, F-A-S-T-E-N. Just go to, you know, all the uh, app stores have it. Uh, Fastblast.com slash blaze. You can get it there as well. It's a free app. So check it out. Learn about intermittent fasting. Get yourself started. They've got these great smoothies as well you can order from Fast Blast. Check it out. Fastblast.com slash blaze. I'm just thrilled to introduce my next guest. She's the senior meteorologist for Fox News, as well as the author of Mostly Sunny, How I Learned to Keep Smiling Through the Rainiest Days. Janice Dean, thanks so much for coming on the program. Oh, thanks for having me, Stu. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. And, and, and more than that, I really appreciate everything you've done over the past uh, few months to draw attention to Governor Andrew Cuomo, who the media tells me is the only real hero of the coronavirus era. And I, 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 can't, I can't tell you how frustrating this is every single day to hear this over and over again. And it must be much more frustrating for you. Well, that's why people like yourself uh, offer kind of a light in the darkness, because I find that this story should be getting more coverage. Unfortunately, if Mr. Cuomo had an R next to his name, we'd be seeing this story in every newspaper, Mm -hmm. on every channel, 
uh, and it would be, you know, I think I think he would be, um, you know, in front of a jury right now. To be honest with you, I think that this would be um, one of the biggest stories of the pandemic. Mm, I, I fully agree with you on that. Um, can you, for those who don't know, can you tell people why this has been so personal for you? Both my husband's parents died of coronavirus and they were in elder care facilities. His father was in a nursing home, not permanently. We had him there for rehab. Uh, he had some health issues and his mom was in an assisted living facility. And the plan was we wanted to have them together. The assisted living facility was close to our residence on Long Island and his parents couldn't take care of themselves. I mean, this is another part of the story, right? Um, the, the decision that people have to make when their parents are getting older and they can't take care of themselves and they can't take care of each other. And so for months and months, we wrestled on what we were going to do to help them. There were trips to the ER. Um, my husband is a, a firefighter. He had to go fairly regularly to the their four-story walk-up to help them. We had aides coming into their apartment and just got to the point where we really needed them to have 24-hour care. So his father was in rehab. He had dementia. We were trying to get him in better shape to um, to join his bride in our in the assisted living facility that that we had set up for them in a double room. And coronavirus came in in March, and we were quarantined. We couldn't see them. We were getting regular updates from Mickey's nursing home, but Stu, we didn't know he was ill. We got a call on March at the end of March, and the aide said that his dad wasn't feeling well. And then three hours later, we got a phone call saying he was dead. Oh my God. Um, we had no idea until we saw the death certificate that he had had coronavirus. Hmm. And I remember hearing from the facility before he died, they called us and said that they were gonna move him to another floor so that they could make room for new patients. And that was a red flag mm. because then we started seeing the news updates of the mandate, the official order, the executive order from Governor Cuomo for 46 days, he put COVID positive patients into nursing homes, but it was too late. And his mom, two weeks later at the assisted living facility, she got COVID, she died in the hospital, but her, her, does, her number doesn't count because Governor Cuomo is trying to hide those numbers because many of those nursing home and assisted living residents died in the hospitals, but they won't count those numbers as COVID deaths in the, in the nursing homes. Mm, which is completely inexcusable. Janice, one of the things I think that is so frustrating about all of this is not that there were mistakes made because this is a really difficult thing for, I think, leaders to go through, for politicians, for health officials. I'm not surprised people made mistakes. And I think a certain amount of grace is necessary in a situation like this. But that's not what Andrew Cuomo was going for here. He's going for this sort of hero. He, he, he believes he can somehow manipulate the situation for his own personal benefit and convince everyone that he was doing everything right and everyone else was doing everything wrong. I think that's the part that's so frustrating, how he begs and, and seemingly receives this grandiose treatment from the media. It has to be incredibly frustrating for you as well. Especially his book tour now, oh. his Victory Lap book tour. It is frustrating, Stu. Um, 
and he's blamed everyone, everyone and everything. He doesn't have a set answer. And that's one of the reasons why it's, it, to me, it's so crystal clear that he's, you know, hiding the truth because he, every time he gets asked about the nursing home tragedy, he has another person to blame. He's blamed the New York Post and Fox News and God and Mother Nature. And at one point he was blaming uh, the nursing home um, caretakers yeah. and the residents and the people that were coming to visit them. But I mean, I can tell you, we weren't able to go visit my in-laws. We weren't able to have a funeral. We didn't have last rites. There were no wakes. Uh, so that's the frustrating part is that when he's finally asked the question, he has different answers each time. And he gets very upset when he's asked the question, like, how dare you ask me the question about the nursing homes? So yes, at the beginning, if he had admitted my gosh, we're in a pandemic. I wanted to make sure that we had hospital beds. I thought that the nursing homes were prepared. I thought that they had all of the PPE that they needed. And I made a mistake. Had he done that from the very beginning, we would have accepted that. Uh, but we're now seven months in and he continues to blame others and go on his victory lap tour mm. saying that he's the greatest governor of all time when basically he's he's profiting off of the deaths of over 30,000 New Yorkers. Uh, yeah, well, you know, he's also, of course, blaming the president and, of course, the yeah. continent of Europe, all constantly talking about how Europe is at fault here. And it's not even just denying the reality, right? It's not even saying taking responsibility. He's actually acting for asking for praise. You mentioned that he is not counting uh, residents that were in nursing homes, transported to hospitals and who died in hospitals as nursing, nursing home deaths uh, in opposition to literally every other state in the union. I mean, it's, this is not like a bunch of people doing this. This is just Andrew Cuomo doing this. And it's not only that he's doing that, but he's also going out and bragging that New York is 34th in the nation in nursing home deaths when he absolutely knows he's manipulated those figures and is lying to people. How this question cannot get an answer from the media, it is complete insanity. It is so frustrating. And I was thinking that because he was on this victory tour for his book, which is now a New York Times bestseller. Ugh. I mean, it it's really, it's so frustrating and it makes our grief even worse that he's doing all of these television shows, um, CBS Sunday to uh, ABC and NBC and The Tonight Show and Jimmy Kimmel and all of these shows. And they continue to, you know, bow down to him like he is, you know, this amazing leader that, you know, he flattened the curve, but my husband is a firefighter and he'll tell you that just because the fire is out doesn't mean the house didn't burn down. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the house burned down. Yeah. Why do you, what's your, because you're from New York. I, I was born in New York. Um, I, what is the reasoning for this attachment to, to Andrew Cuomo? I feel like there's there's something as a person who grew up in New York and grew up in the Northeast, there is something familiar about the way he talks and about his mannerisms I mean, is it just that New York is going through this tragic situation and they're latching on to anything that will give them hope? What is the reasoning for him continuing to avoid responsibility on this? I think there's a few things. Uh, I agree with you. At the very beginning, when he was doing his PowerPoint presentation 
and I still had my in-laws and we didn't know how bad the virus was or how many lives it was going to take. Um, I would watch his, you know, his daily updates and think, you know, he seems to be doing this very well, you know, <laughs> um, talking very calmly and giving updates and giving answers. And then when we started to see the deaths and certainly finding out what was going on in the nursing homes, you know, that's, and that's when I started to think, oh, he's a really good actor. But I think also, Stu, the fact that he was never challenged and the fact that he was never asked the questions, um, you know, when he was doing these interviews, he was going on CNN with his brother and talking mm. about his love life and doing all these skits when people were dying. But I think you're right. I think people were looking for that calm leader. Um, he has the name Cuomo. I mean, his father was governor of, of New York as well. His name is very revered and very well known. But I always say, you know, he has the name on his side. He has the Democrats on his side. But I have the angels on my side. Mm. And I'm going, I'm going to really hope that someday we do get some answers. I'm hoping for a bipartisan investigation with subpoena power. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen in New York. Uh, I certainly hope the, the on the federal level, they look at this as, as we look back at the pandemic and the mistakes that were made. And it wasn't just New York that put co coronavirus patients into nursing homes. It was several other states as well. So mm -hmm. this is a, a bigger, broader issue. Um, but to your point, you know, at the very beginning, I thought he was doing a great job and now, of course, when I see the way he answers the questions and blames everyone else except the man that signed the order, the executive order, that's when it gets really tough. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I, you know, it's, it's funny because you look back at those early days and I think people look back at, OK, here's a really stressful situation. And here's a guy, you know, projecting calm and, and that can be calming. However, when there are times when you shouldn't be calm. Right. I mean, you look back at those statements from that era. It's him saying, go to keep going on the subway. It's him saying this is just like the flu. It's him saying this is no big deal. All the things that people like Donald Trump have been beat up for over and over and over again. Cuomo was saying them, but much, much worse and much more frequently. And yes, it might soothe you in this moment. But at times as a leader, you have to be able to step up and say, look, this situation is serious. A little more worry and concern might be the appropriate response. Yes, and thank you for bringing that up and bringing that to the attention of people, especially on social media. There are publications that are trying to hold his feet to the fire. Um, the Empire Center here in New York uh, has basically, they have a lawsuit against him trying to get the, the nursing home numbers, the ones that were in the hospital. Um, because we think that number that they're touting right now, which is 6,300 deaths in the nursing homes, is probably double. So there are watchdogs out there. Um, there are publications that don't have anything to do uh, with the New York Post or Fox News, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Financial Times. They're all doing investigative pieces. Um, I just don't think that they are seeing the light of day, unfortunately, uh, and people seem to be, you know, ignoring them or they don't want to know the truth. But there are thousands of families here in New York that want answers. Mm, and I hope someday we can get them.
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Even ProPublica, which is a left-wing yes. news organization, recently came out with a piece on this. Um, let me take a break here real quick, Janice, if we could. Um, before we go to break, if we could play, guys, the uh, Sat Cuomo DNC speech. Uh, listen to Cuomo uh, describe uh, how bad the response has been from the federal government. And tell me this does not uh, explain exactly and, and describe his own administration. Listen. We saw the failure of a government that tried to deny the virus, then tried to ignore it, and then tried to politicize it. I mean, that is Andrew Cuomo's response entirely. He's describing himself. We have more with Janice Dean in just a minute. Do you see how some people say this is you taking a victory lap in the middle of a pandemic? Oh, there's no victory here. The game isn't over. This is halftime in the game. Let's learn the lesson from the first half of the game and play a better second half. But we have to play a whole second half of this game. And there's gonna be another virus and another infection and another bacteria, and we can't make the mistakes we made this time. <laughs> there's Andrew Cuomo on CBS uh, News. Um, you know, he keeps talking about how this isn't a victory lap. Let me give you one other piece of audio quickly. Um, this is uh, him talking, and Janice brought this up just a second ago, how he, he seems to have different excuses every single day, no matter what the question is. First of all, it's not a, it's, this is not a victory lap. It's only halftime of this virus. Now let me give you this latest clip from Andrew Cuomo. They surrendered. They surrendered without firing a shot. It was the great American surrender. Americans don't surrender. Uh, and they didn't even put up a fight. And that what we learned in New York was if you put up a fight, you would have won. Because New York won. Other states won also. Hmm. Well, I thought it was halftime of the game. But here we are. New York won. Janice, I, I, you know, he is absolutely shameless and i'm absolutely mesmerized by how how shameless he is with no conscience i would love for there to be a supercut of all of these things that he says uh because if i mean i would be crying if i wasn't laughing right now it's just and this guy is the governor of the biggest state in america in in many ways and had the most deaths of any state. And he just, his answers just continue to baffle me sometimes. I, I heard one quote of him saying, well, the numbers are the numbers because they're the numbers. And the reporters just sat there and were like, right, they're the numbers. <laughs> I mean, it's it's baffling to me, Stu. It really is. He he truly is getting away with this, I find. it Just he he doesn't get asked the questions. And when he is asked the questions, he comes up with these crazy answers that are never the same and they never hold him accountable for it. it it's really quite incredible. You know, Willie Geist, I have to say, last week did follow up with the, with the nursing home uh, scandal and the tragedy. And again, he got very defensive, but then he wouldn't answer the question and then there's no time to follow up on it again. So um, I'm not sure. It's really difficult to get through some of this without, you know, laughing just because <laughs> I 
I, I, if I'm not laughing, I'm crying. <laughs> Believe me, I'm, I'm with you on that. It, this is, it's that frustrating. Uh, you went and testified about this, um, uh, and you're trying to get something done in the New York government. What I find is interesting is it's not just Republicans who are asking about this. I mean, Democratic politicians are very frustrated and upset about what's gone on here. And still the, the, the ball hasn't been moved all that much. You were able to go there and, and do something about it. Can you tell the story of how that came about and what might happen coming out of that? Well, um, in August, uh, they had two hearings for the nursing home uh, tragedy to find out some answers to some of the questions. And they had Howard Zucker, who is the health commissioner. They had him on the hot seat for a little bit and he didn't give any answers and kept saying, yes, I'll get you those numbers. I promise we have to make sure they're correct um, in reference to the actual death toll, including the nursing home residents that died in the hospitals. So that was the first week of August. The second week of August, I was told that I would be able to testify in Albany. It was via Zoom, but it was, you know, it, they were legitimate hearings where, you know, your testimony is documented. And I was told the Friday before the Monday hearing that they weren't going to have me testify, that my invitation was rescinded. Hmm. And the reason why is that they were uncomfortable with my testimony, despite the fact that I actually have relatives that died of coronavirus in elder care facilities that should, you know, my story should account for something, um, but was told that they were uncomfortable. And the reason being is where I work because I work at Fox. Mm. And that shouldn't matter, Stu. It shouldn't matter where I work. It shouldn't matter who I voted for. It's about accountability for my family and knowing what happened and why it happened and why we don't have the, the numbers. So Tucker Carlson got wind of the fact that, that I was uninvited to testify in Albany at the hearings and said, well, I'll give you, you know, your five minutes on my program. So I was able to go on his program and talk about, you know, my family and what happened to them in New York and why their story is important and why they're not just numbers on a curve. Um, so, but having said that, they, since then, I physically went up to Albany with my family and there was a bill put forth in place to find out the total number of deaths and to try to have a bipartisan investigation with subpoena power. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately, because the Democrats have control uh, the you know the the lawmaking process right now, and Cuomo has has the final say on something like that. And and by the way, he's already done his own investigation into <laughs> himself and absolves himself of any wrongdoing. Oh wow, what a relief! I I was on the edge of my seat as to how that investigation was going to come out. And yes. I'm so glad it worked out for him. Um, I, I've noticed uh, one of the things we've been seeing lately as this has advanced is, you know, for anyone who's in New York, and I have many, many, many friends there. We were, of course, at Fox at one point and, and, and we've been up, uh, you know, in that area and have lots of friends there. And they kept wondering when things were going to open up. And I kept telling him he's got a book coming out. He can't open anything up because he has to keep these numbers super low so he can brag about mm. himself. Uh, and and that has been a, a, a real a real issue. And now it seems to be developing into a situation where he's targeting 
seemingly specifically the Orthodox Jewish community in New York City with additional restrictions. Is this something that is connecting with New Yorkers? Are they seeing this going on? I think so, yes. Uh, but for some reason, he is still getting away with it. Uh, he had a, you know, he had a, a, a press conference today and was not really asked the questions. You know, I think he kind of dictates who gets the questions and how long he'll take uh, the questions and he'll, you know, answer a few to his liking. Um, but he really is the ruler of this state and, and really has a, has a stranglehold on everything. And, you know, businesses, I mean, there's a mass exodus going on in New York City. I know many of my friends that are leaving New York City and moving to Connecticut, and I'm on Long Island. Uh, so, you know, businesses, if you go to New York City, I mean, restaurants, it's tragic what's happening right now. And then, the, of course, kids trying to get kids back in school. Mm. Um, this is going to be a longer lasting situation. And I hope as we look back on history that we realize a good part of the reason why there were so many failures is because of him, because of him. How is your husband doing with all this? It's tough, Stu, because, you know, I actually had someone email me the other day saying, why doesn't your husband do any of the interviews with you? And the answer is, is because he can't, he can't do it. We're mm. still, he's still grieving. He, just this past weekend, he said, I, I can't believe I'm not phoning my mom today. He talked to his mom every single day. Mm. Um, and he's not a public person. You know, in the very beginning, he didn't want me to go public with this. It was too personal. It's, it's his parents. But he realized the fact that the governor wasn't answering questions and that there was a clear path to why there were so many deaths in the nursing homes. That's when he said, I think it's important because if you don't say something, who's going to say something? Um, but he, he can't listen to any of the interviews I've done. He can't read some of the op-eds I've done because it's just truly too hard for him. Mm. Well, I would agree with him on that analysis. Honestly, if it was not for you, I don't think there would be any light being uh, uh, being focused on this issue with him. I, you've been out there and I, I sincerely appreciate all the hard work you've done for not just your husband's family, but Every, you know, everybody in New York, uh, thousands and thousands of people have been victimized by this. And I don't know that it would ever it would honestly ever be focused on if it wasn't for what you've done. So thank you so much for that. Listen, I'm I'm used to predicting storms. I'm not used to being part of one. And I just want to say I'm not a political person. I find myself in this situation because it's important to be a voice for all of these people that don't have one. Mm, this is very true. And thank you so much for that. Uh, Janice Dean, senior meteorologist, Fox News Channel, also author of Mostly Sunny, How I Learned to Keep Smiling Through the Rainiest Days. A lot of rainy days lately for everybody. Uh, Janice, thanks so much for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Back in a second. It's true that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is defined not by her socialism or not by her idiocy, 
but by the fact that she's always the victim of every single story. She lives her life in a constant search, Indiana Jones style, to find the way that she's victimized on any given day. And today is no different. Uh, Today, she is criticizing unacceptable lines at New York polling stations. She says, there's no other place in the United States of America where two, three, or four hour waits to vote is acceptable. And just because it's happening in a blue state doesn't mean that it's not voter suppression. See, here's the thing with uh, AOC. It's kind of a weird one to blame uh, because, again, it's nothing but Democrats doing this. So she's criticizing her own party, which she will do from time to time to her credit. Uh, But, uh, you know, normally it's just about her uh, blaming everything on Republicans. This time it's Democrats that have victimized her. Uh, Again, you know, this is you could take this as a sign of positive, uh, you know, voter engagement. Right. Like when you have early voting, usually when the first few days, a few first couple weeks, maybe you get a lot of people in line. We've seen this all around the country where people are lining up that first day. Everyone covers it. All the local news stations are like, look at how long these lines are. This is absolutely disgraceful. And then the next couple days, all the lines dissipate and you can just walk in and vote. It's happening around the country, even with record uh, vote increases. People are voting by mail. People are voting by absentee. But let me just give you one piece of advice. You happen to be a New Yorker. Again, I was I was born in New York. Um, If you're worried about waiting in long lines to vote, just don't vote because your vote means absolutely nothing. Uh, You know, I hate to break it to you, but Joe Biden's going to win the state. So you can just skip it. That's my advice to you and to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and why we all found out together that she's the victim of the day. Hey, hey, what do you say? By the way, is it me or are the Democrats doing the same playbook from 2016? And I don't know if you know this. It didn't work. It did not work out well. Donald Trump happens to be president of the United States. But with Joe Biden, there's kind of a necessity here. They want to keep him hidden. They want to keep him in the basement. He's not uh, he's not only in the basement. He's doing a few events. He has got um, he's got four events in two days. Two days completely off. It's a really it's a light schedule. Um, uh, Jim Garrity writes that Hillary Clinton did 17 events in four swing states in the last seven days of October, famously skipping a bunch of states. We're also hearing reports of Biden putting resources in states like Georgia and Texas, which don't really make all that much of a difference. If he wins Georgia and Texas, he's probably already won the election. So it's kind of an opportunity to run the score up which is the same type of thing Hillary Clinton did at the end of the campaign, where she was investing resources in Arizona when she didn't need to win Arizona. She needed to win Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. And she was throwing money at Arizona to try to run the score up and pick off a red state. Made no sense. Biden's trying to do that again. He's not going out anywhere. When he does go out, there are like four people show up. This is a a mesmerizing election. It really, it really, really is. What is the state of the election right now? Well, I have, between these two cards, a new game. It's called Pick Your Rasmussen. Yes, everyone wants their very own Rasmussen. And here you have a chance to pick which one do you want. Which card do you want? Which Rasmussen? James, which Rasmussen would you like? Right hand or left hand? Left hand? Yeah. Left hand. Here we go. He picked the left hand, this Rasmussen. And this Rasmussen shows a seven-point lead for Joe Biden. So congratulations to Joe Biden. Now, this this is a bizarre situation. And if you don't know the backstory here, let me inform you real quick. This is uh, for justthenews.com. It's John Solomon's website. And Scott Rasmussen, the guy everyone knows behind Rasmussen Reports, a famous pollster. This is his poll. 
And you might say, okay, so the Rasmussen poll is 51-44. No, that's not right, because this is his new polling group. He was, with Rasmussen reports, he started that organization, and that organization is still polling, and they have Donald Trump with a one-point lead, 48 to 47. So to review, Rasmussen reports was started by Scott Rasmussen. Their poll says it's 48-47 Trump. Scott Rasmussen left Rasmussen reports seven years ago and started a new organization, and Scott Rasmussen and his new organization is saying it's 5144 Biden. So that should be very easy to understand. I hope you gra- grasp that uh, information well. And I also want to give you, we're, by the way, we're doing these polling updates uh, on audio only. If you happen to be listening to the podcast and you're in the feed, you're already going to get them uh, if you happen to be subscribing already. But if you're on YouTube or somewhere else, we're going to have these quick little things, uh, little audio uh, situations to explain new polls as they come out here in the coming days. Uh, just because I think a breaking poll is worth it. Uh, yeah, we're all kind of obsessed with information right now. I know a lot of people don't want to hear poll stuff, but a lot of people do. And I think it's important to at least know the state of the race of where people think things are going. Maybe it'll be motivating. Maybe I'll have people going out and, and trying harder if Trump is down or if he's ahead. Maybe you get a little bit encouraged. I mean, Rasmussen says both ahead and behind. This has got to be really frustrating for him because he has nothing to do with the other organization anymore. It's just they're just using his name. He doesn't even work there. He has nothing to do with it. He hasn't worked there in seven years. He's got his own polling organization. It's got to be frustrating. But anyway, we're going to give you polling updates. Kind of like a little run of uh, uh, as to what is going on, not just the headline number, but also some stuff behind the polls. Little interesting tidbits that I, I dig out of there. We'll be presenting those on audio only. Go to the podcast feed, iTunes, wherever you go. And when you go there, subscribe to the feed. Get the show every single day for free. Uh, and give me a review if you don't mind. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And add on a little write-up thing, whatever. It's great. Whatever. I don't care. Just write something so, you know, you, well, you understand. We, people who write, it's great, whatever. I kind of know you're in the Cool Kids Club. So if you want to do that, that's fine. You can always add that onto your review uh, at, at iTunes or wherever you want. You can always go to stewdoesamerica.com, get all the links to all the socials and all the feeds and everything else. All right, back in a second. One of the interesting things that's developing when it comes to the coronavirus situation is we're all kind of staying away from each other, not being close talkers, maybe washing our hands occasionally. That's helping us with other illnesses as well. The flu is a big one. And like, listen to this. In Chile, uh, in between April and October, there are usually about 7,000 cases in Chile uh, that are detected. This year, 12. So 7,000 to 12. I mean, like 12 people. That's it. It's an amazing drop off. We'll get into this a little bit more uh, later in the week. Let's do some reviews here before we go. Go to iTunes. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. The highlight of my day. I genuinely get excited to listen to what Stu has to say. I love his sarcasm. Somehow it makes all of stupidity in the world worth it. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Cheers. Whatever. Just a senior in high school listening to Stu's legendary wit since I discovered it a while while twiddling my thumbs in the gloomy realm of quarantine. Not only is it hilarious, but it tells the truth as well. Vital in a time like this. I hope I get tested positive just to wield the magic card of Corona too. Five freaking stars. Not medical advice, by the way. Probably the five, the worst five-star rating I could give. It's right between mediocre and what the hell was that? Seriously, though, subscribe to this one. It's fantastic. Five freaking stars. And Eagles fans, this podcast is better than watching any Eagles game this season. Oh, man, that's been all too true. But five freaking stars. Thank you very much. We will see you tomorrow.